Hello and welcome back to General Chat. Today's guest is a writer, dungeon master, and host to several wonderful podcasts. One of those podcasts in particular is Queens of Adventure, and I'm going to upfront recommend that you guys listen to Queens of Adventure. I know I've talked about it before on the podcast. I know I've talked about it on Twitter, but it is genuinely one of my favorite shows. The fantasy element, the role-playing, the storytelling, the production, everything about it is just amazing, and you will not be disappointed, so please check it out. Okay, okay, okay. I'll stop gushing. I actually had a really great time recording this episode. We talk about the importance of queer heroes, striving to grow as a DM, and watching your players grow, and how to balance mechanics and storytelling in a D&D podcast. I hope you guys enjoy this episode with Matt Baum. Matt, thank you so much for coming on. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I heard of you through your podcast, Queens of Adventure, Mm -hmm. which stars a riotous group of players playing drag queen personas in a fantasy realm, in this fantasy story, giving fantasy, telling fantasy. It's very layered and I love it. Awesome. Thanks so much. I'm really glad you're enjoying the show. It's uh, a lot of fun to make Queens of Adventure. Well, can you give me a little history about how Queens of Adventure was started? Yeah, so for a long time, uh, my partner James and I uh, were, you know, just it was like a joke between us of like, wouldn't it be funny to do a show that was Dungeons and Dragons uh, plus drag queens and, uh, you know, it blends those two different, very different worlds and wouldn't it be funny to combine them? And like literally for like years, we just like were joking around about that. And then eventually uh, I went to DragCon uh, in Los Angeles, which is the uh, convention built around RuPaul's Drag Race. Uh, I do a lot of work around LGBT issues and representation. Like I do a lot of stuff about uh, queer uh, pop culture. And James, my partner, is uh, a game designer, and he's extremely fluent in um, making games and having fun and what fun even is. Uh, So I went to uh, DragCon and was just, you know, kind of like mentioning the idea to some people. And everyone uh, that I mentioned it to was like, oh, yeah, you should do that. And when I got back, we were like, oh, yeah, we should do that. (laughs) So uh, what we did is uh, I'm pretty well connected to the drag scene here in Seattle where we live uh, because I photograph drag shows and uh, interview drag queens about their work a lot. And so just reached out to some of the other drag performers that I know and was like, should we do this? Uh, Like, would you be interested in doing a, at the time we thought we'd do a live show um, where we get some drag queens up on stage and play D and D. And there was some interest and we had some good ideas for the show. So we we're like, let's give it a shot, see what happens. And we sold out. So uh, that was a good sign. We actually had to turn people away at the door because we ran out of space. Um, people wanted to see it. So we're like, all right, let's see where this goes. So we did another live show and another live show. Uh, along the way, I was learning to play Dungeons and Dragons at the time. I had not played before we started doing the live shows. Um, but uh, as you know, I was getting better. Our players, the drag queens, were getting better. They're playing D&D in full drag. We're taking breaks during the game for them to do lip syncs and play games with the audience and stuff. Um, and eventually, you know, we did enough live shows that we're like, let's try a podcast because we're still selling out shows, turning people away at the door and more people want to see this than we can fit in a room. So let's bring it to the world, basically. So um, we put it on Kickstarter to get the first season started. We wanted to be able to pay our performers um, 
that was really important to us. So, um, Kickstarter backers very um, were very supportive and and allowed us to do our first season, uh, and that's what we're in the middle of right now is uh, a ongoing story involving drag queens in a fantasy realm, going on quests and saving the world. You just mentioned the group did several live shows, and they seem to be a hit. But what are some of the differences between performing Queens of Adventure live and recording it at home? Well, uh, there's a bunch of differences. One is just like the audience energy isn't there at the table. So um, it's super fun when you're doing a live show to have like people cheering for you. And, you know, we start every show with a lip sync. Uh, so that really sets the energy level nicely. Um, and, you know, the audience can like you know, laugh at the jokes and like the queens are playing off of the audience. That's what they're really experts at is like reading the crowd and keeping the room happy. Uh, and then at the table, what we're able to do is um, a much more uh, crafted narrative. So we can think a lot more deliberately uh, rather than like, we got to fit this entire story into two hours uh, at the bar. Uh, and then everybody goes home uh, at the table. We can think a lot more about like, what's the story and who are the characters and why do we care? Um, so it gives us a lot more time to explore the world. And uh, it also um, gives us the opportunity, which is, you know, kind of a double-edged sword because it, it means that we're, we've got to work harder, but uh, it gives us the opportunity to tell a bigger story than just, you know, the, the two hour comedy show that we do live. Uh, we can tell a much bigger story with bigger stakes, bigger enemies. Um, but the, you know, the challenge of that is also making sure that it's set up well and that it pays off and uh, that it's, uh, you know, um, a, a coherent narrative basically. So anyone who listens to the show can tell that you do produce it very well. There's lots of fun sound effects and quirky moments, a lot of things that are added in after the narrative component. Uh, I heard in an interview you did previously that James does the sound edit. Mm -hmm. How is it to create something with your partner? Has it influenced your relationship? Yeah, it's been really great. And, uh, you know, we've been together for how oh, many, many years at this point, uh, over a decade. And, you know, it was a long time before we really felt like we wanted to do like a more of a work project together. Because, you know, like you said, that can be a little uh, dicey for uh, for a couple um, to do. Uh, but at this point, like we know how to work together. We know what each other's strengths are. Uh, and so it turned out that we're actually um, we're actually really good at making uh, entertainment, uh, together, you know, that's something that I do, like, I'm do communication type work. I write about, you know, LGBT issues for the advocate and Rolling Stone. I've reported for NPR and all these places. So I know how to communicate a, 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 a story, a, a, you know, tell people what's going on. Uh, James is great about understanding narrative and fun and giving the audience an emotional experience. Uh, and so together, the two of us, uh, I, I think we, we work really well. And, you know, Queens of Adventure has sort of become, um, our, our, sort of our kid in that, you know, it's the thing that we, we made together that has a lot of the two of us in it. So when you hear like, you know, a character's name or an environment, you know, it's something that we develop together. It's the same thing with the sound effects. You know, James will do the sound effects pass on the episode and put in all the like the crunches of people walking or the roar of monsters. Um, but I'm sitting right next to him often and, you know, we'll bounce ideas off each other. And, um, you know, I, there's, there's a lot of, um, a lot of the two of us and everything that we do. It's kind of interesting to think about the work that goes into putting all of that production together because you, you think normally when you have to be 
the DM for a group of people just without podcasting it, without recording it. That's a ton of work anyway, because mm. you're setting up a narrative for them to follow. You have to get them to care. Like you said, you have to get them invested. Why should they go on this adventure? Why shouldn't they just go and drink at the local tavern? Like you have to figure all of that out as the DM. Mm. On top of that, you have to record and edit and add all this other stuff into it, it feels a lot like it's definitely a labor you have to love. What is the fulfillment there? What is that element? Oh, there's a whole bunch of different things. Just like on a very personal level with me, it's very fun for me to make something with James, with the, you know, with my partner, with the person I love. Um, but it's also um, one of the reasons that we wanted to make the show is we wanted to have a world of queer heroes. And it was important to us to um, make LGBTQ people who listen to the show, like give them something to, to feel excited and, and, and empowered by. Uh, so that's really fulfilling. Um, previous to this, we'd worked on a project called Playing with Pride, where we interviewed LGBTQ gamers about their experiences in the gaming space and how queer culture and game culture collide. And sometimes those those cultures are at odds, but um, you know, sometimes they fit really well together. And we we're like, all right, well, let's let's see if we can make something where they fit really well together uh, that entertains people and uplifts them and makes them feel good about being a part of the you know the big queer chosen family that we all have. Um, you know, I really do feel like um, LGBTQ people have, uh, you know, um, magic powers, basically. You know, I, I say that kind of metaphorically, but, you know, we have we have powers uh, among them. Uh, the ability that we have to form a chosen family and a uh, community uh, based on who it makes sense for us to have in our lives. Um, and so I think Queens of Adventure is uh, to an extent an extrapolation uh, of that it it shows queer people being strong and being heroes being heroic uh doing good helping people making ultimately making the world a better place which is what we want to be happening in the story that we tell and it's what we want to be doing with the podcast itself i personally love the fact that you set out to show queer people in this light because of for myself as a queer person and as someone who's I'm at odds in these two communities, this this like nerdy community and this LGBT community, and sometimes those things don't mesh. And so it's really nice to see those things coming together. Yeah, I would say like one of the great lessons we've learned is it may not feel like those two worlds can talk to each other, but you just got to give it a shot. And like often they do, like we found so many great queer nerds who are into the show or, you know, um, straight people who are geeky and like D and D and they're like, Oh, okay. Well, I don't know much about drag, but um, I'll give it a shot. And conversely, we see a lot of like queer people who are like, well, I don't really, <laughs> sorry, I'm like tripping over my words here, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yes. absolutely. That, like somebody from one side of the Venn diagram discovers that they like the other side of the Venn diagram. Uh, yeah, and you know, I think what really what it boils down to is um, a lot of people feel like they don't have a place where they belong, and uh, you know, gamers might feel that, queer people might feel that, uh, people with disabilities might feel that, people of color might feel that. Um, there's all kinds of people who are like, you know, looking for a community, and you know, we have an opportunity to 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 show people like, hey, yeah, you, you you belong here. We think you're great. Um, you can be a part of this world of of heroics as well. Uh, something that's important for us to establish um, is that you know we've got drag queens playing at the table. They're all working professional drag queens. Um, but in the world of queens of adventure, anyone can be a hero. Anyone can be a queen of adventure. Uh, you don't need to you know be of a particular gender. You don't need to be a particular background. Um, you know, you everyone everyone is welcome. <laughs> 
Uh, and and th- that was a really important thing for us to, to establish. I think that a fantasy setting is perfect for that because I think when you can make anything, when you can create a world that includes anything and where things that in our current culture are seen as or are marginalized are just accepted and normal and okay Mm-hmm. In, an, in a world that you can role play in, that can be very cathartic. And I think that there's something beautiful to be said for, you know, the fantasy of drag and the fantasy of D&D. And I think that, you know, there's definitely some elements that go together to navigate and perform in a fantasy setting as a drag queen. Yeah, something that we found is that drag and D&D go together so well. Um, You know, there's so many aspects that are compatible and comparable, Uh, like the character creation, like when you build your character in D&D, or when you are coming up with a drag persona, essentially, you're just asking yourself, like, if I could be anybody in the world, who would I be? Uh, and you're fabricating something um, that is really personal to you. And it might be, you know, a pirate elf uh warlock or uh it might be a um you know a a drag queen with a beehive hairdo who loves music from the 80s you know whatever it is uh you you are reaching deep down inside and expressing something about yourself in in a space where you're expected to do that because we don't always get the opportunity we always have permission to really be honest and vulnerable and express ourselves in our day-to-day lives so uh, i love that D and drag give you a chance to do that. And in the context of, of working with other people, the, the other thing that I love about both of those worlds is there's so much about the collaboration and so much about the other people in your party, whether your party is your adventurers in the fantasy world or the other queens who are performing with you on stage. Um, you know, it's all about coming together with people, with your colleagues and working creatively with whatever constraints you've got uh, and and lifting each other up and supporting each other. So it's a, it's a really... Um, it's just, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Like I, I know I harp on this a lot, but it just, um, I keep coming back to it because I think it's such a thing of beauty that uh, these are worlds that are designed for people to support each other and be the best they can be. And I, I just, I love it so much. I think there's a beauty in being able to find your family, which mm-hmm. I think is kind of that core message with a lot of a lot of D&D campaigns with a lot of these narrative-based uh, adventures. You know, you have Critical Role, you have the Adventure Zone, you have mm-hmm. D20 Dames, you have Queens of Adventure. I think a lot of it is about a bunch of different people from different backgrounds coming together and, you know, forging a relationship. And I think that parallels a lot of what we are going through and seeking as people because I think there's a lot of, like, a lot of the mundaneness in everyday life of you're like going to work and then coming back and you like feel like you're losing that connection. And I think that's something that people really relate to an element of why they really enjoy your show. Yeah. You know, I love the fantasy and it's great fun to see, like if you kind of put drag Queens into a imaginary world, what they come up with. Uh, But yeah, you know, when you're just like, going to work and riding the bus and going to Starbucks and drinking your coffee and coming home and, you know, making dinner. And it's the same dinner you made like three times already this week. You know, it's just so nice to go into a world where anything can happen. And, you know, ideally when the chemistry is great around the table, you know, whether you're, you know, we're doing our show, but like whether you're just playing with friends and nobody else is listening uh, when you have like a really good rapport with the people around you um, it's just such a delight 
to you know go into go into each other's imaginations and see what happens when you're there kind of like all putting your heads together and having a dream together uh it's uh, just a a really lovely experience to 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 see the people you care about um making something together you know and we're we're talking about D, but you know it could just as easily be i don't know painting a mural or planting a garden or you know there's all these different ways that people can express themselves and i love the imagination fantasy that that dnd gives you uh within the framework of the rules and this is the other thing that's really beautiful is that fifth edition of DD um is so well crafted so well balanced um there's lots of other great game systems out there um but uh, i i love just the the rules of this world and it's something that's taken me a while to learn but the more i learn about it the more that i see like that um rolling for things and the potential to fail um really gives your players an opportunity to be great to be awesome when something doesn't work the way it was supposed to when players can support each other and be like oh no you're falling off the bridge but i'm gonna use my lasso or whatever uh you know the 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 rules of D really help you create a um, a world where collaboration is the most powerful thing people can do. Well, I think it's wonderful to see that in a time where perhaps we don't have that as much in our own real lives. So it's mm. kind of nice to like, to see that, to see that messaging or to get that feeling of just like, oh yeah, like I can help out my fellow person. I think that's a fantastic feeling. Yeah, it really is nice. And it's something that um, it took our players a little while to really see the full potential of. But um, there are moments now around the table when we're recording Queens of Adventure where somebody will set somebody else up. Like they'll use a spell that gives the enemy disadvantage on certain saving throws. And then the next person in the attack is like, oh, oh, they have disadvantage on wisdom. Well, I have a wisdom-based spell and I'm going to use that now. Thank you for setting me up for that. And so, you know, um, we're actually just uh, about to uh, release an episode where uh, the the next episode that comes out, there's going to be a trap, and um, one player is has some powers that allows them to uh, walk upside down past it, uh, but nobody else can do that. So then they have to figure out like how to use that one player can do that to support the other players and bring them upside down past the trap. Uh, and uh, like when one of the players rolls poorly and they fail, the other players are, are like throwing their items to that player to try to get them <laughs> out of the predicament they're in. Uh, yeah, and it's it's great. Like uh, you know you don't really have an opportunity to do that on as great a scale in real life. So, um, you know, saying like, okay, well we're friends and we know each other outside the game. Uh, and now like if we were in the you know world of Lord of the Rings or whatever fantasy setting you like, uh, if we were there, like what would we, what would we do together? Uh, and it, you know, it's, it's just, just a, such a, I keep saying this, but it's just such a pleasure. It's such a delight to get to know the people around you that way. How have you seen yourself and the players grow since you've started doing Queens of Adventure? Well, I will say like in my own work, like I look really long and hard after every session about like what's working and what's not. And something that I still am working on is really listening. I mean, that's like the most important thing I think a DM can do is listen to what the players want and what they're great at and when they feel happy about something that they did. And it's really hard. Uh, it's, you know, I've been doing this for like a year and a half now and I'm still like, I still like listen back and I still see room for improvement um, where, you know, either, you know, the player might say something that just like slips right on by me or uh, I don't pick up on the fact that they're uh, really interested in one particular room and they want to explore it more. Um, 
and you know, and, and so I should put like some reward in there for them if they if they want to explore it. Um, you know, I'm, I, that's something that I'm that I'm working on, but I think I'm getting better uh, at at it. I hope. Uh, and and then you know, another thing that I think um, making the show has has done for me uh, is I do feel a lot more comfortable taking risks just in life, and not like crazy risks, like uh, let's see if I can get in front of this train before it crosses. But uh, you know, having a little more confidence in my own ideas and proposing things and saying like, what if we did, you know, completely outside the game world. Um, but I think something D and D has given me is a little more confidence in, you know, being vulnerable and saying like, I think maybe we should try this. What do you guys think? Cause that's what the whole game is. Um, and then in looking at our players and, and looking at the ways that they've grown, I mean, it, it gives me a real delight when I see like these drag queens who, generally like most of them up until a year and a half ago had never played D before had no idea what all these weird shaped dice are all about um and now seeing them be like oh well uh, i have this many level three spell slots um but maybe if i could use a level one spell and use it a higher spell you know like getting really complicated and technical and like really getting the game and being creative um you know that's the thing is the the, the better you understand the rules of the game the more creativity uh you can the more you can creatively use them to your advantage um, so I, you know, I, I love that quality. And then also seeing how invested they can get in different aspects of the world. Like I've discovered when you ask drag queens what they're wearing, they get very excited about that. So, uh, you know, there are times when, when I'm very deliberate about asking them, you know, well, we're, you're about to set out on an adventure. This actually happened in the episode that we just posted today. You're about to set out on an adventure. What are you wearing? And so they have like a fun moment to describe the outfits that they've got on. Uh, so, um, yeah, just, I, I think, uh, seeing them blend their drag with the fantasy world has been a real delight. And the, the longer we go, the more comfortable they are doing that because they can say stuff like, um, in the episode that we just posted episode 22, uh, one of them says something like, well, I'm wearing my light armor, but, uh, it's like kind of a bathing suit light armor. And, you know, a year and a half ago, they didn't know what light armor was or what that meant, but now they've got it. And they're kind of working that into the day-to-day creativity that they just have a sixth sense for. So that is such a fun idea. I feel like we need more costume changes, more fantasy costume mm-hmm. changes. Like what? You don't have to stay with the same armor that you set out in that musty, dusty leather. Yeah, uh, that is definitely, uh, we talk about wigs and heels and makeup a lot on the show. Now, you know, and sometimes we have to be a little careful that it doesn't like take over. Cause like, if I just let them talk, they talk forever about like the shoes, but um, it's fun to hear their enthusiasm. And it also like gives a, a fun little flavor. And then, and then it's back to the story. And then we're back to like, okay, well, you got this outfit on, uh, but also you're hacking your way through the jungle and there's strange creatures all around you and weird plants and you don't know what's coming up next. Uh, so, and then occasionally, uh, no spoilers, but an episode that's coming up, we had a player describe the outfit that they're wearing with a lot of buckles and straps. And then in an episode that hasn't posted yet, but it's, it's coming soon. Um, those buckles and straps actually save them in a situation where they're, um, they nearly fall into some terrible danger. Uh, but they're able to use the buckles and straps. They just described as a joke. It was just like a little one-off flavor joke. Um, but then it turns out, oh, actually that, that came in handy. 
Wow, that worked out really well. Um, marking my calendar, gonna look for that on the update schedule. Okay, <laughs> yeah. It'll be episode are. 23, I think. Okay, perfect. No, so it's so serendipitous how that comes out. And it kind of, you know, it mirrors reality in a way because it's like sometimes the choices you make and the things that you do end up impacting you in ways that you never imagined. So it's really fun that it works out that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I I was just talking yesterday to um, another podcast, the RPG Academy, and the whole slogan of that show is if you're having fun, you're doing it right. And uh, I think that's uh, another really important lesson for, uh, you know, not just like Dungeon Masters and players in D&D, but like, you know, and whatever, whether you're playing a tabletop RPG or you're playing like a video game or like doing whatever other activities people do to have fun with their friends. you know, why why are we doing this? Well, we're doing it to have fun and spend time with people we love. And if we're enjoying ourselves, then then great. We're doing it right. Uh, yes. That's like, I've seen this uh, post going around social media lately. Uh, I've been memeing around the internets, as the youth say. Um, that's been like, well, if you don't put hundreds of hours into the game, you're not a real gamer. And it's like, well, no, if you're playing a game, you're a gamer and if you're enjoying it you're mm-hmm. doing it correctly yeah yeah that's uh that's what it comes down to like we, we really want to take away like any gatekeeping there and be like everyone's welcome uh you know our, our players didn't play D until a year and a half ago i didn't play D until a year and a half ago i'm very new to it uh and it really has changed my life uh it, like i said it, it's given me a lot more confidence that i didn't even know that i wanted to have but now i'm glad to have it uh, and so if someone, in, you know, had said like, oh, no, you really like you need to apprentice at D&D before you can play it, uh, that might not have happened. So, you know, <laughs> it, it's great to just like just dive on in, just dive on in and have a good time with people you like. Absolutely. Less gatekeeping. 2019. That's what we're going with. That's what the year's about. Perfect. So you started DMing in 2017. Did you have an interest in tabletop RPGs before that? Um, you know, it was something that seemed a little inaccessible to me because I'd had a bad experience as a kid. One of my friends decided that uh, he wanted to play, I think it might have been Vampire the Masquerade, I don't remember, but he decided he wanted to play some game. We were like 12 or 14 and brought over some books and we just like sat there silently reading and getting impatient and never actually playing, just like reading the rules endlessly. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, okay, whatever this is, it's not for me. And then I would see other friends playing uh, TTRPGs and I was like, oh my God, there's so many numbers, there's so much math, there's so many rules. I don't understand how any of this works. It's not for me. And um, even when I cracked open the, um, I think it was the Dungeon Master's Guide uh, and started just reading that from page one, something about it just wasn't clicking with me. I was like, this is so complicated and I don't know what these terms mean. I don't know how to get started. So for a long time, I just thought like, there's something about my brain that doesn't get D&D and I can never play. And the thing that really turned it around for me, um, there's actually a couple things. One was just listening to shows like The Adventure Zone and Critical Role and D20 Dames, where I'm like, oh, okay, well, these people are playing and they're having a good time. And if they can do it, maybe I can do it. Uh, And, you know, it just seems like, they're having fun and I know how to have fun. So, okay, let's give that a shot. So there was that. Um, then there was also uh, going into the, the fan, the lost minds of Fandelver uh, adventure that starter pack does such a good job of not overwhelming you. Uh, that really helped uh, just reading through that. The lost minds of Fandelver book um, gave me a lot more confidence to run a game on my own. 
And then um, the other thing was was James, um, you know, my partner who was very encouraging and coached me. And, you know, he knows this stuff backwards and forwards. And when I was like, I can't do this. I think we need to hire somebody to be the DM for the show. And I, I'm never going to understand. He was like, no, look, just just start small, start simple. You're telling a story. Sometimes you roll dice. Big numbers are good. And that's that's all you need to get started. And so that was really nice. Like having somebody in my life who could just coach me through and be like, no, you, you've got this. You did a good job. Uh, you, you understood something. Congratulations. You learned, you learned what, you know, <coughs> you learned what, how, how um, armor class works. Um, and so that gradually, you know, got me up to speed and made me feel more confident about running the game. I would say like one of the things that also really helped for me to feel like it was for me was understanding the correlation between game mechanics and narrative. So, you know, sometimes it just seems so baffling, like, what's your HP? Or what's, like, I think a good example is, like, what's your AC? Um, first of all, you're using acronyms, and that's confusing. Like, what does that even mean? Um, so, you know, saying, like, okay, well, here's your armor class is a reflection of how good you are at dodging away from people trying to attack you, and also how resilient uh, your the armor that you're wearing is. So, um, you know, you can, it's numbers, uh, for the purposes of the game and adjudicating conflict, but also there's a narrative component uh, in um, how basically how how bouncy, how dexterous, how like good are you at like wriggling through attacks, and also like what are you wearing? Uh, like what is your what AC do you get from your armor? And so there's like a storytelling component behind the numbers, and the numbers reflect the stories, and so those two things work together really well. Um, and understanding that connection between the numbers and the story, and that they are basically different skins on the same thing. That really helped me get the game. And, you know, when I, whenever I was like, oh no, it's too much math, I'll never understand. And I don't understand, like, what proficiency is. Um, and then to translate that in my head, like, oh no, 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 proficiency just means you're kind of good at something. And, like, just like to understand that really helped me figure it out. And, like, oh, and, and the more experienced you are, the more your proficiency number increases. And, like, when you get to level five, it goes from plus two to plus three. Uh, you know, just figuring out like what's the story behind the numbers and how does the story change the numbers? Uh, like that, that really made me feel like, okay, I can, I can do this. I can tackle this. So the story that you have weaved for Queens of Adventure is this like lush tapestry of different, so different scenes you've had, mm -hmm. you know, you started in the, House of Wonderbread, and then you went to a theme park, and now you're mm. on an island. And there are stories that I haven't heard before, and like I can recognize some different modules that people have made. You know, there's very rich, the like very original Horde of the Dragon Queen, and like there's Ravnica, and all these new different like modules that are out there. But are you doing a completely homebrewed thing? And if so, like, how did you start coming up with that story and narrative? And how do you continue it as time goes on? Yeah, it is uh, totally homebrew. Uh, all the live shows that we've done there in season one or season zero of the podcast is uh, a lot of the live shows. Uh, and then the season one that we're doing right now is uh, also homebrew. Uh, it's just original story and original NPCs. Um and so I guess there were a couple of reasons we did that. One is because we knew for the purposes of a live comedy show, it, we could maybe adapt one of the 
you know, out of the box stories from like Dungeon Masters Guild or something. Um, but we also wanted to make sure it was sufficiently draggy. Like, so, you know, their first adventure where they go to Wunderbred Manor, um, they're fighting wigs, like uh, living uh, attack wigs. And uh, there's uh, a whole puzzle based around the concept of shade, uh, you know, very drag uh, connected um, concept. Um, in the future adventures, they, they run into... Um, basically more drag themed monsters uh, stuff is very like queer specific. Uh, and we would never get that just like out of a, a DM scale box uh, or from one of the published adventures. Uh, so that's one of the reasons we decided to create our own. And then also, you know, we have a, a very particular story that we're trying to tell uh, about what it means to be a hero and to be good to others and make the world a better place and to use your powers to improve people's lives. Um, so we're pretty focused on uh, telling an uplifting, empowering story. Um, so, you know, we, we, we looked at uh, other material and we were like, yeah, this, there's, there's a lot of good stuff out there, but, but we've got something we want to say. And that having been said, you know, we do often go to like D&D Beyond to grab, you know, monsters like we've got we've got some Gricks coming up, for example, and some gibbering mouthers here and there. Um, so, you know, it's not all entirely of our own invention. Um, in fact, Butylene uh, is an alchemist, uh, which we are using from uh, Dawnforged. Um, uh, what are they? Is it Dawnforged Academy or Dawnforged Club? whatever it is they they created the alchemist class so we're using a class that was created like a by a third party um so we do like here and there borrow stuff from from elsewhere but in general like we've got a story that we want to tell and and we're really excited to tell it well i think so far one thing that i've noticed is the group started out with and no heavy spoilers here but the group starts out with one sort of alignment, which is a bit more on the shady side. Mm -hmm. And then as time goes on, you know, there's a moment in the story fairly recently that you kind of address this. And it's like this choice moment of like, well, do you want to keep going on the path you're going? Or do you want to try to do better and be better and grow? And it's kind of this pivotal moment for them. And I think that I haven't seen that reflected so far in the stories that, you know, I've seen. Of course, there's changes and, and you know, coming to to God moments and things like that. But but this just moment of like, hey, you guys are going down this path and are you sure this is really what you want to do? I think was handled really well. Why... Why was that something you felt you needed to address? Was it something that you and the players had talked about? Or was it something that you as the DM wanted to kind of draw their attention to? Well, yeah. So um, the, the thing that you're referring to is like there was a bit of a um, – tone uh early on of you know what's often in D&D called the the murder hobo situation where <laughs> you you know you're just going from like encounter to encounter and slashing your way through and killing people and with no care about anybody's well-being um and that can be fun and I like I certainly am not opposed to adventures like that um but there was a moment um in season 1 around season around episode 15 or 16 um where the players uh are confronted by their past choices uh, in a, a way that was a, a little challenging for us to do. Basically, we because we're a podcast and we're recording, uh, we have everything on tape, so we could play things back to them and stuff that they might not remember or they might remember uh, incorrectly or um, 
might be a decision that they would make differently now. Um, so it was sort of a, uh, a moment to step back and say, here's what's happened so far. Here are the choices you've made and here's where you've come and how you've grown uh, over the last basically year and a bit. And, you know, do you want to keep doing that or do you want to do something differently? And, and, you know, there was, we crafted the narrative so that there was someone asking them very specifically, uh, what are you going to do about these, uh, the, the the consequence of your action. I, I think the, one of the reasons we wanted to do that was because we were a little concerned with the show that uh, it wasn't clear that the players' actions were actually having consequences. That the, you know they there were uh, adventures like um, they had a big apocalyptic fight that nearly destroyed an entire town, and uh, they participated in a battle on the beach that uh, nearly killed them, and um, they made friends uh, with um, some very colorful characters at a at a casino and you know there was a, a feeling like okay well they're doing these fun things and then they're just kind of like disappearing off into the past and they're, they're not coming back and so we wanted to make it clear like when you do something in the world the world remembers and uh there are consequences and um sometimes bad things can happen that you didn't see coming or uh, you know that that people will remember what you did um, so that's one of the reasons that we just uh, wanted to have a, a reason kind of mid-season to review and recap and also just refresh everybody's memory about everything that happened. But also to say, uh, you know, think about like what's what's animating your your choices here and if they are choices that you want to make. And, you know, and also we gave them like there's an opportunity for them to do kind of a, a fresh start, like a reboot and, and say like, okay, now, now that you've been through this thing and reviewed like the stuff that you've done in the past and maybe you have some regrets, uh, they, they do talk about like, oh, we shouldn't have done that. Uh, okay, well, it's okay to have regrets. And what are you going to do? What are you going to do different now? Um, and, and I think it was a very stressful experience for all of us to like go back and be like, you know, to, to talk about past decisions and regrets. Uh, but I think what came out of it was a much stronger party. Well, can I just say, as someone who edits her own podcast, I acknowledge and appreciate the amount of editing chops that took, editing muscle and man hours to put together all those different little audio clips and all this, like, you know, going back and reviewing these things that had happened. It it was, I'm listening to it and I'm going, as someone who spent hours editing, going, wow, that was a lot of work. Mm -hmm. And it was quite the payoff. Like, I really loved the moment, you know, from some of the season zero stuff where it's the live shows and the audio is obviously going to be different from a live show where you don't have a lot of control over the setup of the room. It's not an enclosed space. It's just a lot of, not a lot of control you have over the sound quality. And you go, oh man, you know, (laughs) this playback system we have isn't working that well and you know i've got to work on the sound quality but it's just like this minute moment of just like i really appreciate that as someone who works in audio well thanks i really appreciate that it's good to know that uh that it actually paid off uh and and yeah we do you know i i in addition to this podcast, I do some other podcasts. We do a lot of media production. So we kind of know our way around a microphone. Um, so it is something that's important to us, is making sure it's something that that actually sounds nice to listen to. Uh, so, you know, we've we've developed, like, some tips and tricks o- over our time of, like, making the show. Like, um, when we start, we're all sitting around a table and everybody has their own mic. And the first thing we do in the level check is we just have everyone go around and say their name so that when we've got a whole bunch of audio files... Um, the first thing you hear when you open the audio file is someone saying their name. So you don't have to spend like 
50 seconds scrubbing back and forth trying to figure out whose audio file you're listening to so just you know little things like that we've we've kind of like uh developed into uh the the process of making the show so that's a great hint i'm picking that gem up i'm writing it down i'm taking <laughs> notes i'm applying it i'm improving there we go um, well you've talked a bit about your other podcasts you've mentioned them can you tell me a bit about sewers of parish or other podcast yeah, so Sewers of Paris has been going, gosh, I think about four years now. Wow. Um, so it's a show where I interview queer people about the entertainment that has changed their lives. So it's like a casual, relaxed conversation about, you know, um, the books and movies and TV and shows and songs that have impacted people and shaped them into who they are today. Um, and one of the reasons I do it, you know, similar to Queens of Adventure, where it's all about like forming a community is uh, it's really clear to me that queer people have in our shared experiences, often entertainment and media is how we talk to each other and understand and relate to each other. So, you know, when I ask every episode, I ask the question, what's the entertainment that changed your life? And so I'll hear like Oscar Wilde or Madonna or, um, you know, Barbarella or whatever. We talk a lot about, um, some, for some reason, opera comes up more than I would have expected it to. But we talk about opera now and then on the show. Uh, you know, it's, it's a question that starts a conversation about like, okay, well, so you said that Bewitched, for example, changed your life. And how? Like, And then, you know, hearing from people about like how something important to them changed the trajectory of their lives. It's just so interesting. And, and also hopefully relatable that uh, if somebody had some experience with like, I don't know, Priscilla queen of the desert showing them like that, that people are out there who, who want to love you for your queerness. Um, you know, for me, it might've been Priscilla queen of the desert for someone else. It might've been, I don't know the Muppet show or, or any number of things. Um, so it's, you know, the entertainment is, is a great way for us to, to just relate to each other. And so I've been doing that for quite a while now, four years, I think. Uh, I'm on episode 223-ish right now. Congratulations. Have you thought about what you're going to do for episode 300? Oh, gosh, I haven't. That's way, <laughs> oh, that's way down the line. But actually, it's kind of not. It's like, <laughs> oh, it's, it's about up. a year away now. Yikes. Yeah, I better think about that. <laughs> I keep thinking about that. Like, oh, what am I going to do at episode 100? What am I like? I keep thinking about those landmarks. But I think I should focus on what I'm doing right now. And what I'm doing right now mm. is interviewing you. And what I want to know about you is when you entered nerd culture like what was that one access point for you that you started coming in to like fandoms and and nerdy games and things like that what was your entry point that's a great question. You know, it was always a part of my life growing up. We always had like a Nintendo, uh, you know, an NES uh, in in the house. And, uh, you know, we'd always watch Star Trek together as a family. So that was always, you know, sort of simmering in the background. Um, there were a couple big moments. I think um, when I was a kid, Super Mario Brothers 3 was like so popular at school. Like it was such a cultural phenomenon for us. I was probably like, I don't know, sixth grade, maybe fifth or sixth grade when that came out. And so it was such like a, a, a major milestone that like I really felt like I was a part of something tremendous uh, as a kid uh, just by playing Super Mario Brothers. Um, and then a little bit later, uh, when I was in college, which is where I met James, one of the things that brought us together, one of the ways that we bonded uh, was over Final Fantasy. Uh, I want to say it was Final Fantasy eight i believe um so james had uh the playstation and the people that i lived with in college had the nice tv and so when we became friends and we were just friends then uh james would bring the playstation over and we'd all sit around and watch him play final fantasy 8 and it was a really 
nice way for us just to like hang out and bond and get to know each other. And so Final Fantasy VIII was kind of like the the foundation for for the relationship that would um, that would have for you know the rest of my life. Um, so there was that. That was a big one, uh, I would say. Um, and then also when I was getting to know James, uh, Dragon Ball Z was uh, a big part of our lives because we would watch Dragon Ball Z and I had no idea what was going on, but James would explain it to me. And, you know, I, it wasn't so much Dragon Ball Z that I was obsessed with as just like hearing this person that I thought was the coolest tell me about what was going on in the show. Um, so yeah, that I think would, would be one of the, the bigger entry points. And then I would say also more recently, streaming like live streaming on twitch when i you know when i first heard about twitch i was like people are going on the internet to watch other people play video games no that's not real and then we started doing it and i realized oh this is actually really fun uh it's really fun to play with people and to like chat with them as you're playing really takes me back to that experience of sitting in the dorms and just hanging out with friends and playing final fantasy 8 and you know the the experience of the game is part of it but also the experience of being around other people is even even bigger um so yeah i would say that those are the those are sort of the entry points. Like I didn't have one big epiphany that was like, oh, oh, this is it. I'm I'm a nerd now. Uh, it was more just sort of like a, a brick by brick building the the very nerdy house. Well, I think that's kind of it, right? Like I think that's something that you try to capture with Sewers of Paris and that I try to capture with General Chat is that feeling of connecting while you're standing around at the arcade or where you're sitting on the couches in someone's house and watching someone play. And just that moment of being like, oh, we all like the shared thing and we have that connection. I think figuring out, like talking to people and figuring out what they love and then sharing that moment with them and creating a bond and kind of being like, oh, you like this thing. I like this thing. Maybe we can like this thing together. Like that's such a beautiful moment. And I think when we can harness that and form community, I think that's a very important thing to find. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's sort of the double-edged sword of social media is that uh, Twitter is a great place to go to shout and be shouted at and uh, just experience the, you know, everyone at their worst. But that having been said, sometimes they're really beautiful moments. And, you know, if you find the, the, the people there and, um, you know, we, I, I think something I really enjoy, oh, there was a great moment uh, a couple of months ago where uh, Jeremy Crawford, who's one of the lead uh, rules designers on Dungeons and Dragons uh, fifth ed- edition, um, had some somebody send him a question, I think, about uh, the character Jaraxel Bain Ray. And um, somehow the conversation turned to that character's sexuality. And Jeremy said, well, yes, of course, Jaraxel is pansexual. And um, I don't think it had ever been like explicitly stated before. And like everyone was like, mind's blown. And like, oh, my God, he is like the official word. He's canonically gay. And like, I, you know, there, there are a lot of different reactions. And um, so I like... I, I, it was just like a real pleasure to see that unfold on social media and to have someone who's a custodian of the, of Dungeons and Dragons be like, no, it's, it's, it's okay. You're, you're, you're welcome here too. You're allowed here too. Uh, you know, it's not lost on me that Jeremy uh, Crawford is himself a, a queer person. And, you know, it just reminds you of the importance of having representation in the people who are making stuff so that, voices who might have been overlooked and uh, greatness that might have been undiscovered in the past has an opportunity to um, to be daylighted for everybody else. Well, that actually flows perfectly into my next question, which is, you know, it revolves around the fact that for a long time, nerdy spaces have felt very much like a boys club. Uh, and not to generalize, but it has felt a lot like a straight white boys club. 
And mm-hmm. especially with D&D, a lot through the 80s and 90s, and it just was like, this is a thing that young boys do. And and it was very much a closed-door thing. But I feel like that's changing. I mean, I know that's changing. As you just said, one of the main rules designers is a queer person. And, like, we have all these different representative stories out there. We have all women shows. And we have different uh, groups playing together. And we have queer representation. And we have people of color where before it was very much like a a PB&J. And now it's like a... Philly club. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like, you know, it's, it's a very different thing, but how do you think that the current nerd culture is changing to be more inclusive? Well, I would say like, personally for me, uh, I'm like done with the boys club. Like I have no time for the straight cis white men only attitude of, for, for anything. Um, and I, because I think when you close the door and you're, you know, have these assumptions of like, oh, well, you know, is something ridiculous? Like, well, girls aren't funny or whatever. Uh, it's not true for one thing. And also you're like holding yourself back from all the great stuff that the people that, that you're writing off can do. Um, so many good things happen when more people are involved uh you know i want the everybody club basically uh and and i do think like nerd culture my perception of it is that it's uh getting a lot of uh really exciting um attention paid to people who are here all along people who are doing great stuff this whole time but maybe the spotlight just wasn't on them as much as it could have been or as much as they deserved uh right now there's here in seattle um lake washington girls middle school is doing this great thing where they uh set up a DD club and there's actually a DD class yes. uh where all the students all the girls at uh at the school can learn to play like they're learning to play D D. they're learning to be dungeon masters uh one of the teachers who's teaching them also does a uh coding class and so the girls are learning how to program and um it just like warms my heart so much to see all the great stuff that's out i was talking to a parent actually of one of the students and uh you know the 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 kid was telling me she's like 13 or so and she's telling me about this like pirate queen princess or a pirate queen character that she's created and she's so enthusiastic about it and then afterwards her mother was like wow i have never seen my kid like that before and it's just so great that it's uh, it's open up and it's accessible and you know i just want to hear from all the people like you know in making the show in fact uh, one of the people that we looked at a lot was satine phoenix who has um all these videos about like how to run the game. And she was uh, until recently the community manager for wizards of the coast. Um, she's like such a great inspiring figure. Uh, and you know, if, if you were to look at D and D and be like, Oh, well it's boys only. You'd miss so much great stuff from people like Satine. Um, you know, same thing with queer people, same thing with people of color, same thing with people who have disabilities, same thing with people who don't speak English as a first language. Uh, there's, so many more people coming in and as they come in, they bring their greatness with them. And I, love it i'm i'm so here for it absolutely a world is only made better by adding different elements to it you get a richer fuller story yeah absolutely and that's you know that's what we're all i mean we're playing D because we want to be imaginative we want to use our imagination so let's use our imaginations uh imagine you know a, a, a for one thing a better world where people you know are accept each other and are interested in each other uh but let's, you know, if we're going to be imaginative, let's bring in as much imagination as we can. Yeah, there was a, uh, so I'm going to share an antidote. 
where I had this, I had this moment where I was going to start um, a game with a group of people and I, I had my apprehensions because it was a group of all men. And so, mm. uh, which is not necessarily bad, but like I, I would be the only new player and I would be the only woman. And at one point the, the DM says to me, well, in this particular system, there are some things that you need to know. One of them is that, you know, it's kind of a gritty scene. It's like futuristic and it's like this dystopian future hellscape. And part of it is that there's uh, female-based sex work that is very degrading. And mm. he's like, you know, we might run into that. And so you might have to deal with that. And I was like, well, okay, I understand that. And like, I see where you're coming from and thank you for telling me. But at the same time, you literally control the world. You could get rid of that. Like, you don't have to tell me that that's something that exists and therefore it's going to be there. Like what I think is interesting about having this, this set of rules to work within, but then the rest of it is a fantasy space is you can make it anything you want. And so depending on who you have and the different voices you have, it can be completely different and maybe the tone of like female subjugation won't be such a a large mm -hmm. one because that's something if you go back into like a lot of the old uh shoot the word is escaping me if you go back to some of the old prepackaged uh games that D, D put out some of the old modules that's the that's the fucking word okay if you, <laughs> yeah. if you go back and look at some of the old modules, a lot of the scenarios are like, oh, well, we're going to kill these women and children, or we're going to beat these women, or we're going to, like, um, murder this brothel full of women if you don't, if the heroes don't step in. And it's like, it's like suffering of, of marginalized or oppressed peoples so that the heroes will come in and the heroes will get to look like heroes and i think mm. now that we're having different stories we're not kind of getting that that narrative line anymore and i think that that's something that is so wonderful yeah i i agree with that um i think something that happens in games is uh, in particularly in tabletop sessions is there are elements that are um that are unwelcoming um and that having been said like i think you know Game groups, are, you know, groups of friends who are playing together should feel comfortable talking to each other about what they, what kind of scenarios they're comfortable with and what they want to play. And, you know, I think it's legitimate for someone to be troubled by something that reminds them of something that's a, that's a bummer in real life that they just don't want to confront in the game world. It's something that um, is going to be like emotional labor or cognitive labor for them to get past in the game. And if someone's like, oh, that's not fun for me. I mean, there's a billion other story hooks that you can do that that are going to be fun, and so I, I think it's I think there's a more understanding now uh, for you know like the example that you picked of like degrading sex work, for example. That if someone is like, ah, this reminds me of a thing in real life that really makes me unhappy, or you know, it could be a million other things. It could be racism. It could be war. It could be you know abuse or whatever it is. And if someone's like, this is just not going to be fun. Um, well, I, I mean, guess what? There's literally thousands of other stories to tell. So maybe let's tell a story that's fun. And if a group is in, intent on telling a story that's not fun for somebody, um, you know, that's just not a group to 
waste your time on if the groups like if they're coming at it from a perspective of like we have to confront um you know child abuse or something in our D session and that's more important than having fun um I, okay i i get that that's what some people want to do that's not for me uh, like i'm here to have a good time and if somebody's not having a good time then you know there are ways to fix that so let's fix it so we herald back to it's about having fun. It's about enjoying the game and the mechanics of the game and the story of the game and the rules of the game can all be factored into that. But ultimately it's about, are you as the DM and are your players having fun in your game? Mm-hmm. Well, I I've also found that at least for me, creating content comes with feelings of responsibility you know I try to do Mm -hmm. right by my guests and listeners and you know I've mentioned that I'm a queer poly person uh my content is focused on my guest experiences more than it is mine so I don't get to really like tell the like my perspective on a lot of things but in your shows you're specifically moving within queer spaces and lifting up queer voices so what responsibilities do you feel if any towards those communities well, yeah, that's, I mean, something that we take really seriously, uh, you know, not just in my work with Queens of Adventure, but like, um, just generally in like the journalism that I do. Uh, it's, these are, you know, it's an opportunity to elevate voices that might not otherwise be heard that might not get the attention they deserve. And so, you know, uh, we want to be, uh, you know, for one thing, you know, simple stuff like being respectful of pronouns and and, and that kind of thing. Uh, and then, you know, I- including diverse perspectives in the game. I, I think that's really uh, important. And, uh, you know, thinking through like, you know, with our audience, not just our players, but like, what are our players comfortable with? But, um, you know, making it clear to the audience that like, this is a world where all genders are welcome to be queens. Uh, you know, these are, I, I think, things things that we can have an opportunity to model, uh, values that we have an opportunity to model. And so it's it's important for me to do that um, and and to make sure that, uh, like, you know, I, I, like I said before, that, that everyone's welcome. And there are, you know, little signposts that you can set down to indicate that everyone's welcome. And, uh, you know, if, you know, appreciating that someone's pronouns are important to them is just one way to do that. You've created a world that truly does feel welcoming. You have a lot of different NPCs. So when playing all these different characters, are you expressly trying to represent a lot of different viewpoints? Are you hoping to make everyone feel welcome? How are you in the NPCs that you're creating representing the communities that you're a part of? Well, I mean, that's something that's challenging. And there's, um, you know, because we don't have the perspective of every community, there's, you know, we I, I can't accurately say like, aha, yes, behold, the, <laughs> you know, the, for example, uh, I don't know, the, the non-binary experience, because I personally am not non-binary, so, and I don't want to misrepresent. Um, I would say, though, that, you know, it's, it's, it comes down to, this is something, whether you're doing a show or whether you're just playing with friends, um, including including those people and listening to them uh including diverse perspectives so you know if you find yourself like putting together a group and being like aha here we have all cis white men um maybe maybe something you know maybe maybe examine that uh and be like are we excluding somebody or like are we going to miss out on a perspective that would be uh exciting to have here or worthy of inclusion um so i you know i think part of it is just like looking at who's sitting around the table and uh, ask yourself if there are more people that you could invite. Um, you know, we do a, uh, 
Oh, a, a live stream uh, every Saturday at eleven uh, Pacific. Uh, we're doing we're playing Waterdeep, and it's it's not part of Queens of Adventure. It's not a show. It's just like we're just doing an actual play and playing it um, like it's a game. It's 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 not so much a narrative presentation as it is like let's just play a game. And um, it's not drag queens playing. It's me and some friends. And with that group, uh, you know, I think we've done an okay job of uh, including people from a lot of different backgrounds with a lot of different experiences and perspectives. But uh, you know, I'm always looking to hear more. From people about like you know just tell me tell me about your life and that's what queens of or that's what uh, sewers of paris um hopefully can be is like me just sitting back asking some questions and listening to people telling me about uh, an experience that that i have not had uh you know we can relate through our mutual love of you know uh, i don't know um yeah, harvey milk for example as, as a role model um or divine, or you know, um, I, I don't know. I'm trying to think of like uh, other other good examples of like queer culture. Um, whatever it is, we're we're relating uh, to each other through, um, or the L word, for example. Uh, but what's important is that you know I'm hearing about someone's life, and my audience hopefully is hearing about someone's life who's who's different from mine. So we get that little way in, and then like, okay, now that we're on the same page with the L word or whatever, uh, tell me about like how your experience with it, with it was different and what that's like, and Hopefully that'll make us better people. I think ultimately what I'm hearing from that is that it's about listening and treating the other experiences human. And even within like a fantasy setting or even within an interview setting, it's about kind of letting the person express themselves instead of trying to walk all over it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's exactly right. I, I say that because I myself struggle with that you know I want to have a lot of different people on the podcast and so you know I've had a range of of different perspectives on the show and I sometimes like I have to have a moment where you go okay do you tailor the questions to the experience like do you want to know do you want to ask all the questions about what it's like to be a trans person in the nerdy community because you know the nerdy community has been seen as a boys club for so long do you want to talk only about that? But if you're doing that, are you only looking at one side of their human experience? And so it's like, well, I think what you learn and how you can apply this, you know, in your D&D settings or in your everyday life is that you just do the same things you would do. And if they're willing to talk about it, they are. But the most important thing is to sit back and listen. And so you can listen to what, what folks are saying and take that in and play off of it and have a good interview or you can just kind mm -hmm. of uh, sit back and ask what you were going to. But I think what you're doing with Sewers of Paris and what you're doing with Queens of Adventure is really letting those moments and experiences shine through and show themselves instead of forcing your own narrative. And I really appreciate that. Hmm. Yeah, you know, I think what it comes down to is, is just like you said, listening, um, whether it's like listening to your players outside of the game, or just listening to your friends or listening to what their characters want to do. Like, it's such a hard skill to cultivate, but it's so important is not just listening to the words, but listening to the intent behind them and really hearing what someone is trying to what they're what they're trying to say. And maybe they might not be expressing it well, but uh you know, really paying attention to the meaning behind people's words. Uh, it makes the game more fun. It brings you closer to your friends. Uh, it makes you a better person, I think. Uh, so yeah, listen, 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 listen. Well, and thank you for listening to me asking you questions, Matt. And thank you listeners to listening to this episode. We've gotten into some heavy topics and I would like to end on a bit of a silly note, if you're okay with that, Matt. 
Sure. All right. Well, as the DM, you get to play a variety of roles. But if you were to be mm. a player in a campaign mm. run by one of the queens, what would your character be? Oh, that's a great question. Um, the first place I went to was an orc. Um, I it's it's so different from like who I am in real life. Uh, but uh, I think I would really enjoy being just like kind of a. Um, <sighs> I'm of two minds actually. Like I, I just like orcs aesthetically, but also uh, I like the um, the uh, impulsiveness that I associate with with orcs sometimes. Um, so yeah, I think that that might be where I go. But I, I always like to have like a little bit of a contradiction in character. So I, I think I might like to do like an orc scientist because uh, that's not something that you see a lot. So maybe like an orc scholar who's like a magic user and. Um, Maybe he's uh, like tracking down lost books. I think that's that. I don't know who this character is. I don't know what his deal is, but just like putting it together off the top of my head, he's an orc scholar. He's a wizard, and um, somebody has stolen like these important tomes from his archive, and he's trying to just track these books down and get them back, and uncovers some like big conspiracy. Uh, and I don't know. I don't know. I haven't written the story beyond that, but uh, that's his deal. His name's Greg. I love that a lot. First of all. Great. Because I feel like with orcs, you really expect them to be like the barbarian types. And I think there's this archetype of them starting with lower than average intelligence, which I think is the concept of having specific races, having specific intelligence scores is, eh, to me. But I like the idea of being like, oh, this thing that you typically expect to be very like barbarianish or a fighter you have in this like uh, sorcerer or scholar role that is like, I have this driving passion. So I really like that answer you gave there. Yeah, good. Thank you. I, <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> well, I appreciate you coming on. Matt, can you tell everyone where they can find you, where they can listen to you, how they can support you? Yeah, so everything Queens of Adventure is at queensofadventure.com. Uh, you can check out all the episodes there. Season zero is a lot of our live shows, and season one is the current adventure that we're on right now. Uh, you can also support the show on Patreon, and that'll get you some bonus episodes. We do a bonus episode a month, sometimes more. Uh, also, we release playable content every now and then uh, on Patreon, so Patreon backers get like a lot of extra stuff. Uh, there's also a Discord server and Twitter where we chat with people, and we love chatting with people and having conversations with uh, listeners between episodes uh, so you can find all that stuff at queensofadventure.com and sewers of paris is at sewersofparis.com and you can find all my other projects uh under my name uh, mattbaum.com has like all my other various uh, little adventures there and they have a patreon that you can support so i'll be linking a lot of those things down below so you can check them out thank you so much matt for coming on absolutely thanks so much for having me all right guys until the next one goodbye bye Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Matt Baum. I know I sure did. If you are enjoying the show, please do me a favor and go over to iTunes and give me a five-star review. That really helps me get seen and helps me get more guests for the show. And it makes me feel all warm and toasty inside. And if you missed it in last week's episode, I launched my Patreon. So if you want to check out my Patreon, it's just under my name, Anastasia Solis. And it's on my Twitter, Anastasia Solis. If you want to check that out and 
perhaps show me some support, I would really appreciate that. I am starting to do something new with the show. At the end of every episode, I'm gonna end with a question from the listeners to pose to my guests. And if you would like to submit a question for me to ask my guests at the end of the show, please send an email to generalchatpodcast at gmail.com. I've already gotten a couple of really interesting questions and I can't wait for you guys to hear them. So until the next one, goodbye. Mm-hmm.